0: Lenin once said that uh, revolutions are the uh, festivals of the oppressed and the exploited. And we often see that those who are the worst victims of the the, the capitalist system in ordinary times are also coming out all the more uh, forcefully in in periods of revolutions. And that's why it's no accident at all that millions of, of workers and youth today are joining the struggle against racism and sexism and all other forms of oppression exactly at the time of the deepest ever crisis of capitalism. Um, The struggle against racism and all sorts of division and oppression is a a natural part of the class struggle. And without championing the struggle against racism and national oppression, the socialist revolution can never be successful in fact. And we can see all of this in in the the Black Lives Matter movement that has been going on, maybe at a a, a bit of a slower pace uh, recently but for the past six or seven months. Uh, this has been a movement of millions of people revolting against years and decades of, of racism. But it's also a reflection of a general revolutionary anger in society. It's, it's an uprising, in other words, against poverty, against unemployment, against falling living standards, against uh, a decrep- decrepit health- healthcare systems, the education system, the housing crisis, a- against the media, uh, the establishment, the, the Donald Trumps and Boris Johnson's, these despicable creatures, and the entire uh, establishment. In short, it's essentially an uprising against the whole edi- rotten edifice of capitalism. And racism is an essential part of capitalism. It's an important part of it. And it would be a very, very big mistake for us to, to, to ignore it or just to, to, to brush it aside. Look at the United States. Uh, just to take, uh, you know, as a first, the, the land of the free, the protector of, of, of peace and democracy all over the world. And yes, I am, I am being sarcastic. Uh, how many black people have been killed over the years in the US by the police or by poverty that, that this disproportionately affects uh, black people, by the coronavirus, uh, which, which also disproportionately affects these layers who are the poorest layers in society. And of course, it's not just in, in the US. In France, over the past years, the ruling class has whipped up vicious anti-Muslim hysteria on the grounds that Islam, uh, as a faith, uh, is opposed to the ideals of the French Revolution, in fact, against fraternity, equality, and freedom. Uh, And on this basis, they've increasingly uh, been been attacking the democratic rights of Muslims uh, and attacking every single avenue uh, and and oppressing this layer of society uh, more and more. Um, The latest thing is that mothers, for instance, who wear veils are not allowed to join their children on school trips in France, which is just a a disgusting thing. And just a few days ago, there were two Muslim women uh, right under the Eiffel Tower, in fact, who were stabbed by two French women in Paris, who were screaming, dirty Arabs, and this is not your home, and, and so on. But of course, you haven't heard any of this in the news, because uh, because it doesn't really fit the general uh, uh, line. And of course, it would have been a completely different thing if it was two Muslim women who had who had done the same thing. And all of this is a direct result of the anti-Muslim campaign of the past many years in the media and throughout French politics. And all of this in defense of so-called fraternity, equality, and freedom. And I mean, the, the, the extreme hypocrisy is just nauseating. And this is in fact, this hypocrisy uh, is, is an important factor for the radicalization of the working class and the youth uh, along uh, these lines of anti-racism and, and so on. Or look at, uh, look at Britain, you know, civilized Britain run by these civilized ladies and gentlemen, Uh, educated in Oxford and Cambridge uh, and so on. But you scratch underneath the surface and it's it's pure rot. Look at the the killing of Mark Duggan, which led to the riots of 2011. That was not a one-off event. And in fact, just a couple of months ago, around the corner from where I live in in Tottenham in North London, uh, the police assaulted a 13-year-old boy who was on a bike trip with his father. And the boy had gone a bit further ahead of his father and he was aggressively ambushed by police officers who chased him into some bushes and roughed them up and cuffed him, and threatened to taser him and so on. I mean, this must've been a terrible experience for, for, for this young boy. And the father was also arrested all because they were black. There was no, any, no, not any other reason whatsoever. Um, and ironically, the, this boy's father runs an outreach program uh, trying to increase the trust between the police and the and and the and the children and young people living in the borough. Of course, if he if he if he didn't have this position, this would never have reached the news at all. And it's not just this immediate violent type of racism. You know, there's there's e- e- enormous amounts of of discrimination going on on a daily basis. You know, black kids, for instance in British schools who are told that they have to cut their hairs because otherwise it looks scruffy when it's, when it's too long. And in a thousand and, and one different ways that this oppression uh, asserts itself. And we can go on. The fact is that, that racism is rife everywhere in this so-called democratic, civilized society that we live in. And it's not just against Black people or against Muslims. It's against Eastern European Uh, Eastern Europeans, Latin Americans, and so on and so on. And if you are one of these groups, you experience experience racism every single day at work, in the news, when you're out having a good time with your friends, it can be verbal, it can be physical, or even in very, very subtle everyday uh, conversations and interactions between the lines and conversations in jokes and so on. And time and time again, every single day you're told your opinions and your life is less worthy than others because you're a certain color, skin color or religion uh, or, or, and so on and this is the cause of, of a sense of a, of a very very deep sense of humiliation and powerlessness uh, you know on, on some of the, uh, the BLM protests we've heard George, George Floyd's last words I can't breathe And that is a very, very precise description of the feeling of humiliation and powerlessness that that millions of of ordinary people feel every single day. But this this feeling just as much is a powerful revolutionary force of anger uh, that we we cannot uh, underestimate at all. You know, more than 26 million people took part in the, in, the, in the protests of the Black Lives Matter movement in the US. That's a huge, that's more than 10%, that's, that is a, around 10%, I think, of the whole US population. There's a huge amount. Uh, and, and just like the Russian Revolution where the oppressed nations played a crucial role, so too in, in the, the, the oppressed layers in the US and elsewhere, play a huge role in the coming revolutionary upheavals that we will experience in the next period. So therefore, as Marxists and revolutionaries, our positions towards, ra- towards racism is absolutely essential, and we cannot underestimate it or take it lightly. Um, and as is always the case, the early stages of all popular movements are, are connected with uh, many immature and unprocessed ideas. And of course, how could it be otherwise that the vast majority of working people don't have time to study theory or history uh, and what knowledge they have of politics typically is from the type of rotten and hypocritical careerism that they see on, on TV and which, which they are justifiably disgusted by. And therefore, when the masses go into the struggle, Uh, it's because they have reached a certain limit that they cannot take uh, one minute more of the status quo. And so they know what they don't want. Uh, They don't want oppression. They don't want discrimination. They don't want exploitation. But the problem is that they don't do not yet know what they do want. Uh, And, but gradually through their own experience within the struggle, the class interest becomes clearer to them. And through that, a political program of some sort begins to take shape. Now, as Marxists, it's not our our task to impose our will and our program uh, or our ideas onto the movement. Our fundamental task is to assist this process of class differentiation, of, uh, of, of the maturing, the political maturing of the movement. And that means to participate and help push the movement forward to the best of our abilities, without, however, taking a condescending and cheerleading approach of raising the weaknesses, the obvious weaknesses uh, that, that any movement would have, the natural weakness that any movement would have in its initial stages, to the level of principle. And at, at, at all times, our task is to say the truth to the working class. Now during the, the the black lives matter movement it, it happened as is not uncommon that uh, some people were claiming that Marxists should not participate in the in the movement as an organized uh, force they were implying that we, you know we are some sort of uh, alien force from outside and of course that's not true uh, Marxists are ordinary workers and youth uh, just like the ones who are uh, the rest of the people who are who are on the streets streets I mean with Thank you. With with one crucial difference, and that is that we are composed of the most uh, of the uh, of, of, we're collective of the most politically advanced and far-sighted elements of the working class and the youth, and therefore we have taken the time to prepare for these events by studying the history of class struggle and 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 the laws that govern it. And thereby, we, we've developed a, 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 a complete revolutionary program, if you may, whereas the movement as we see it are just are only in the beginnings of that process. So to argue that Marxists are not allowed to participate in the protest, in essence, amounts to raising the, 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 the initial and immature uh, phases of the movement to the level of principle and try to restrain the movement. In fact, that's what, what, what this demand really reflects. And in fact, uh, in my experience, and I think it's clear for everyone, the vast majority of uh, of cases of this type of hostility really covers for political hostility. It's not about the question of organization or not, but it's a political hostility uh, promoted by liberals and other petty bourgeois elements who are using this argument to censor those who want to advance the movement beyond beyond its initial phases, uh, beyond this amorphous kind of vague uh, uh, phase. Um, In fact, the the vast majority of workers are more than happy to see revolutionary organizations support their cause Uh, 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 and, and that's a fact. Now, another argument we hear which flows directly from this one is that, well, this is not about socialism. This is about racism. Or, or uh, you know, some people say, oh, Marxists are just class reductionists. But what does that really imply? Uh, that, that, that implies that racism is not connected to class society or to capitalism. Uh, but then we have to ask, if it doesn't come from class society, then where does it come from? If racism is not promoted by the bosses, by the capitalists, by the ruling class I and mean, the establishment, where does it come from? And the conclusion is simple. White people. Uh, including white workers who are collectively somehow racist. But then we have to ask the question, how did white people become racist? Uh, via culture, we're told. But then what caused this racist culture? And that is not uh, uh, answered. And therefore you cannot but end up uh, uh, kind of take, uh, reaching the conclusion one way or another that racism is some sort of ingrained thing in white people. And this argument, in effect, f- accepts all of the basic premises of racism, that there is a fundamental difference between people of different color and of different ethnicity. And therefore, the conclusion is that the struggle is against white people in general, uh, and instead of, the, instead of the struggle between the classes, or what, you know, what pe- some people falsely claim, instead of class reductionism. And, and instead of this uh, struggle between the class, what we need is a struggle between the races, which is exactly what the ruling class uh, wants. And this is, uh, this is called identity politics, which is in fact, the dominant uh, political trend in academia uh, today. And the majority of young people who are being radicalized at the moment uh, are not familiar with any other ideas than these. Uh, and, the, and in fact, the, 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 the re, one of the reasons why these ideas are effective is because they reinforce the prejudices that the ruling class uh, promotes via racism just from the opposite side of, of, of things uh, and, and this is this is a of course uh, the purpose of racism is to, is to re, uh, is to introduce these prejudices amongst the oppressors as well as the oppressed group um, now, Uh, What what this basically says is that people of different skin color and ethnicity and so on have fundamentally opposing uh, interests. But as Marxists, we completely uh, oppose this line of argument. Uh, The way we see it, racism is a product of capitalism. Throughout the history of capitalism, it's used racism to justify slavery, colonialism, imperialism, and just as importantly, Imperial, imperialism and colonialism and slavery has been used to promote racism uh, amongst the, the, the so called oppressing uh, uh, groups. You know, these ideas such as the white man's burden, eugenics, race theory, uh, all of these things, uh, all of these ideas have, have played the role of stabilizing the rule of the bourgeoisie in, in, a, in a political way. They promote the idea that. Some of the workers, the white ones mainly in, in the case of the West, are superior and more privileged than others. And in doing so, it covers for the fact that it's only the, the ruling class and its immediate hangers-on who have any real privilege in capitalist society. And we can, we can compare this in a way to, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, the, the, the old uh, house, the, the, the slave in slave society. You had like field slaves the worker slaves somehow. And then you had house slaves and the house slaves were often cleaner. They had some sort of education, you know, they would work as servants or teachers uh, uh, in, inside the house. Uh, and they, in contrast to the field slaves or production slaves who would be more dirty, who'd be illiterate uh, and, and so on. But, and, and very often you would see that house slaves would take the side of the, of the, of the, of the slave owners and even participate in the oppression of the field slave and the field slaves. But in the end, in reality, in the final analysis, they were all slaves. They, were just, they just suffered from diff, slightly different degrees of misery. And the only person who benefited from this was a slave owner. And that is the identity politics of the ruling class. And today's academic proponents of identity politics follow the, the same basic arguments. Uh, for instance, when we're told that, you know, people should check their privilege. This is the idea that white workers or male workers uh, and so on should acknowledge that they're in a privileged uh, position in society. And it's echoing the same ideas fomented by the ruling class. Instead of overcoming the divisions sown by the bosses and unifying the working class, these ideas uh, uh, aim to emphasize the division, in fact, and turn the workers Against each other and burn the bridges that, that, that might be, uh, be built or uh, prohibit them from being built. Um, in reality, however, racist ideas are far more aimed at the oppressor group than the oppressed. You know, uh, Engels once wrote to Marx uh, about Ireland, which is a colony of, <laughs> of Britain. He said that Irish history shows what a misfortune it is for one nation to subjugate another. And he said, he continues that all English abominations have their origin in the Irish pale. And in another letter, Marx wrote back to to, to Engels. He said, for a long time, I believed that it would be possible to overthrow the Irish regime by the English working class taking power. Deeper studies has now convinced me of the opposite. The English working class will never accomplish anything before it has gotten rid of Ireland, i.e., the the, the colony of Ireland and has has liberated the Irish. What they were talking about is the reactionary consequence of racism and of of, of imperialism because the whole purpose of racism is to dilute class differences, to divert the attentions of the workers from the real issues at stake and to rally one layer of the the working class behind the ruling class. Uh, 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 On the other side of the divide amongst the oppressors, um, sorry, amongst the, um, amongst the oppressed, the role of racism is the same, to, so, to create illusions in bourgeois democracy, i.e. thereby to, to maintain the, the movement of the workers within the bounds of capitalism, and to rally the workers there behind the bourgeois or petty bourgeoisie of the oppressed minority. In other words, as long as we have this Irish-English divide, you know, just taking the example from above, then the English workers or a big chunk of them would rally behind the English ruling class and the Irish workers would rally behind their own capitalist and petty bourgeois. And in the meantime, none of them would be fighting against the system of private property and, and capitalist exploitation altogether. Now our task as, as Marxists is to expose this lie and unite the youth regardless of nationality uh, skin color, and so on. 20 minutes. Thank you. How many times have we, have we heard that, that, you know, let's fight racism now. And then later on, we can think about the class struggle. But the, but the question is, how can you solve the question of racism within capitalism? You cannot. Uh, but, because, but the answer we get by, by these people who, who claim this is that, well, we can change the law and we can have more representation for oppressed groups. You have more representation on board, in boardrooms in the governments and so on. And that is uh, essentially what they say is that the oppressed should align behind, uh, as before, behind their, their own uh, bourgeoisies. But in, but in legal terms, at least, in most Western nations, racism is illegal, it is, uh, is in fact written into several um, constitutions. But has that changed anything for that reason? Uh, and also, and even in terms of representation, you know, a few years ago we had Barack Obama. Did, did the fact that Barack Obama was the president of the United States, the most powerful single you know, office on the planet, did that change anything for Black people? Uh, as far as I remember, the black, they actually, the Black Lives Matter movement erupted in particular during, the, that, that, uh, during his uh, presidency. The police chief in Minneapolis just to take another example, is half black and half Latino. Did that benefit uh, George Floyd when he was being suffocated by, by, a, by a Minneapolis police police officer? Not at all. Uh, unfortunately, the, the, the labor movement and the left has also taken up this identity politics. Uh, we see this, for instance, you know, there's this idea of quotas and parity on, on, on speak, speaker platforms. There has to be Equal amounts of every oppressed uh, group on the platform, and so on. But in reality, what these things are often used for is to censor the left and to dilute the, 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 the political discussions. Um, and, it, and again, what these ideas take up, it basically accept, is the basic premise of racism. They are, they are tokenistic and racist ideas, the, the idea of, of quotas that some people, some certain groups, should not be judged on the basis of the ideas that they represent, but on the basis of their gender or, or, or skin color. Uh, and, and what these kind of tokenistic uh, uh, measures really serve to do is to trivialize the real problem that people face and to dilute any political con- the political content of any discussion and to reinforce the false dichotomy which is being promoted by the ruling class. And also where does it stop in practical terms? You know, how, how can you, uh, you, you have to have equal amount of both genders uh, or, so, or there are even more, according to some people, <laughs> genders. And then you have to have every single uh, ethnic minority. And so every, but then who are you going to uh, uh, prioritize? And what you essentially have is that every single group should separate from each other and fight their own corner. Uh, instead of fighting together, that is the total atomization of the working class, if this idea could ever be carried out in re- in, in, fully out in, in, in reality, which is not of course. And that's why the, the ruling class has no problem with these ideas. You know, in fact, since, since the BLM movement, uh, one after another of all of the major corporations in the world have been, uh, at least in the, in the West, has been, have been promoting some sort of a quota system and taking measures to incorporate more people of color and different ethnicities on their boards and, and leading bodies. In fact, as far as I, I know now, even Prince Harry has woken up to the fact that there, there is actually racism in, in, in Britain. And he realized that after marrying Meghan, Meghan Markle. But the, what will all of this do for the black girl walking, working in McDonald's or, or Walmart or Tesco? or who works on the shop floor, uh, absolutely nothing. And you have similar ideas put forward in the decolonized movement, which is present at, at many UK universities and also other universities, which is this campaign to decolonize the curriculum. They say that they, the curriculum in many British universities uh, are, uh, are racist, which is, which is true, which is absolutely true. Uh, there is a, a huge amount of falsification and distortion Uh, in the in the uh, text in the curriculum but that's because the school system was not built to teach the truth in particular when it comes to questions of politics on the contrary the the education system is a key part of the bourgeois state and its main task is to spread bourgeois ideology in particular the curriculum is designed to cover up the crimes of the bourgeois against the working class and I guess all of the oppressed masses at home as well as in the colonies or former, former colonies. But the decolonized campaign claim a campaign claim that the main problem is not this, it's not the falsification, the real falsification of, of, of history, and that should be uh, uh, rectified, but it's the fact that the, 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 the main texts in the curriculum have been written by white people. So instead of measuring the truth, uh, by how well an idea corresponds to reality, what we have is is a, a, a and a curriculum by its class content essentially. What we have is uh, uh, measures to, to 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 measure the truth based on the skin color and origin of the, of the writer. Uh, but would changing the curriculum uh, to you know to be written by colored writers change anything in regards to to um, to, to to racism? I don't think so. And essentially what these people are saying is that to change the skin color of people within the state um, will will change things. But has that happened in reality when there's been examples of this? Let's just look at, if we just look at India and South Africa, what was the result of the state apparatus being taken over by members of the colonized oppressed groups in these areas? For the vast majority, nothing has changed in these countries. Aside from, from formal democracy, Inequality and misery has probably never been, been worse than today, or very close to that. And of course, a tiny minority of people from the oppressed groups in these countries who took over the state uh, and of the economy uh, live a very good life. You know, we can take Sir Ramaphosa, who is uh, Ramaphosa, who is the president of South Africa. He was the leader of the mine workers in South Africa in the 80s, very revolutionary in, in, in language, in rhetoric. Now he's a president and a prominent shareholder uh, in in many different mining uh, companies and one of the richest people in South Africa. And when the mine workers moved in 2012 uh, to to strike for better conditions and so on, he conspired with the police to carry out the Marikana massacre, killing dozens of black uh, mine workers. Uh, He's also a bridgehead, in fact, (laughs) of international capitalism this way and you know and assisting it in penetrating uh, south, south africa and dominating huge parts of south african of the south african economy another example is liberia this is this is a this was an american colony set up by former uh, black slaves freed black slaves essentially uh, but but, the, but but the irony is that those uh, slaves and their descendants then became the ruling elite presiding over an extremely degenerate and corrupt regime, which is oppressing the native uh, African people of, of that particular area. And that is the end result of identity politic, politics when it's carried out to its logical conclusion. What it, what it really reflects is not a desire uh, uh, you know, to, to liberate, in fact, the oppressed, but, it's, but it reflects the demands of the petty bourgeoisie and the middle classes to be able to join the big table with the big bourgeoisie and participate in taking the decisions and uh, uh, enjoy the, the fruits of the exploitation of, of, the, of the masses. Now, many of these ideas are theorized and developed within what's called uh, post-colonial theory. And this is a postmodernist theory, which, which we can say originates with the, the book called Orientalism by Edward Said. Now, Said's theory is based on the proposition that all ideas coming from the West, including Marxism, are inherently racist because they are Eurocentric and hence they cannot be used to understand the the, the colonized world. So if you're an American or European, you can't understand the the, the colonized world. But where does the magical line go? Is it at at the Bosphorus between, you know, the the dividing line between Turkey or the, the European and the Asian side of Turkey? Or the Ural Mountains, or, or is it the Mediterranean Sea? Uh, how and why not even uh, you know? Uh, why not even take it further? How can British people understand the rest of Europe? Or how come the people from London can understand people from 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 some other, from some other city? And you can go on and on, and the result is what is called in philosophy subjectivism. That is, the idea that we as individuals. Through our thoughts and prejudices, determine the real world and not the other, the other way around. Uh, uh, but you can then turn it around. You can say, Thank you, Thank you. You can ask, how can the, the post-colonial theorists understand the colonizer world? You know, and why do these people even bother writing anything if no one can actually understand each other? Uh, now, Said also claims that, that colonialism and racism is based in European culture, going back to Homeric times, that is, ancient Greece. And uh, it was this racist culture, in effect, which caused imperialism, colonialism, and racist oppression. But, of course, these are completely baseless assumptions. These are not, these are not underbuilt, you know, supported by facts. But that's besides the point uh, today. The, the question is, where does this culture come from? And the only thing we can assume is that it's some sort of genetic or geographic defect, which is causing it. And therefore uh, Saeed and the rest of the uh, post-colonialists, they they criticize the West for, you know, making sweeping generalizations and and putting eternal truths uh, uh, forward, but they maintain the exact same uh, premise as the racists and the imperialists and the ruling class in the West. Now, they, the Said in particular heavily criticised Western uh, colonialist academia, they all do in fact, in particular he was criticising uh, uh, SOAS University in, in, in London, which was, uh, which, which was, well, which has always been an institution for developing the colonial and imperialist um, policy uh, of, of um, sorry, uh, the colonial imperialist ideology of, of the UK, but ironically post-colonialism and Edward Said has now become the main international political theory taught in universities and in particular, and so as where it is omnipotent, all powerful, in other words. Now, the question is this, has any of this changed anything in terms of racism? Is Britain less racist or less imperialist? Not at all, as, as we can see just by look, opening our eyes. The only change is that post-colonial professors are no longer ignored, and they're they're not as poor as they used to be. They sit on big boards of universities and they have lucrative publishing deals and they go around the world giving speeches and making thousands of of, of dollars. These ideas in in essence are only redressing the same reactionary ideas that the bourgeois have have been spewing throughout the history of capitalism individual and subjective or, you know, so-called uh, intersectional struggle has never solved anything. And that's why they're promoted throughout the education system. And our task is to wage a determined struggle against these ideas. Any real victory against oppression has always been on the basis of class struggle. You know, slavery in the U.S. was abolished not because there was a cultural change in the U.S. or, by the, you know, because there was an in- in- inclusion of, the, of, of slaves, into, into the boardrooms or anything, but because, on the basis of, of the second of the, of the American US Civil War, or the, the second American Revolution, in other words. Of course, then the bourgeoisie backtracked and, and installed this, the, the system of segregation. They betrayed the black uh, uh, African-Americans. Um, but then se- segregation was, was again abolished, overthrown. By class struggle, the civil rights movement was not a Black-only movement. It was a part of a broad revolutionary process taking place throughout the U.S. Uh, working class. Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, all of these people were, were, were under the impact of the struggle. Uh, they were moving sharply to the left uh, at the end of their lives, which is partially, well, which is actually the reason for, for their, 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 their murders. They were taking off the ideas of socialism and class struggle. That's why they were killed because the bourgeois were afraid of a united, mass-based class struggle. And our task as Marxists is to put forward exactly that prospect, to fight for the highest form of unity uh, within the class struggle. And this doesn't mean that we deny racism or women's oppression or any other form of, of oppression. That would be falling in the other extreme, which always leads back to the same thing. Our task is to to take up the real problems of all of the oppressed layers in society and show a way forward. Uh, Does this mean that we oppose anyone who brings up the ideas of identity politics? Absolutely not, I will say. Millions and millions of of young people today are starting their political life uh, uh, and development on the basis of these ideas, not because they are petty bourgeois reactionaries or anything like that, but because they're immature politically yet, and because these ideas and methods are the only ones they've been presented with their whole lives. And they've they never been shown any alternative uh, whatsoever. The, 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 the rotten labor movement leaders have completely uh, betrayed this cause. On the one hand, they've taken up, uh, on the one hand, they've given in to, to racism and they've gone along with the, with the racism of the bourgeoisie. That goes in particular for the trade unions. And on the other hand, uh, they've, been, they've been giving in to this kind of uh, a quota system and other identity politics uh, measures. Uh, and, and so has the left uh, 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 taken up this identity politics, which has also flooded academia. Um, at the same time, you always see that, you know, the, 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 a, a movement in its early stages, because of the lack of structure, democratic structures, often allows accidental, often academic, Petty bourgeois individuals to take up de facto leadership of the movements because they're pretentious essentially, uh, and because no one else is, is is doing that, and therefore they they they, they, they their their ideas are um, how do you say magnified and and um, and spread throughout uh, the movement, and then of course you have as I said before the general immaturity of the movement itself, which is very very. Uh, natural in itself. But if there was a real leadership, the movement could quickly overcome this immaturity. Uh, But there is no such thing. And as Marxists, we are yet too small, far too small to play that role. And there's no one else there. And therefore, our task uh, is is, uh, the movement. First of all, the movement will have to learn through its own experiences. And our task is first and foremost, to bring clarity to the most advanced elements in the movement, to most determined revolutionary elements who want to move forward and to win them over to the ideas of Marxism. At all times, we have to, we, we, we have to explain patiently, taking our starting point in the immediate struggles that are posed and the level of consciousness that we meet and link our ideas with the ideas of revolutionary Marxism. Uh, Racism and all forms of oppression are are a reflection of the barbarism and general want of society. To to paraphrase Lenin, racism at bottom is a question of bread, or rather is a question of breadcrumbs, which the masses are asked to fight each other for. And meanwhile, the capitalist class sits on the uh, the most unimaginable wealth and enjoys real uh, privilege. Look at the machinery and, and technology that humanity has built over the over, over, over thousands of years. The, the, this, the, the level of science that we have reached. Uh, with this productive capacity, with this potential, all of the problems of humanity could be solved easily. Homelessness, unemployment, uh, uh, hunger, malnutrition, the coronavirus could have been solved uh, <laughs> far, far, far earlier than, than it will be. And yet. Millions, billions of of men, women and children live in the most barbaric conditions of abject poverty and misery and billions of others have no other future to look forward to than one of ever more desperate, uh, 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 an ever more desperate struggle to get by. And none of these, these groups are privileged in any way, shape or form. All of these are victims of a system which cannot show any way forward for humanity. And the way forward in the struggle against these poisonous phenomena, such as racism, is to expose this system, is to expose the lies and the hypocrisy, and show the only way forward, which is a united struggle of all the oppressed and all the exploited for for the overthrow of capitalism and the setting up of a socialist society. And through the united struggle and by, by raising of the living standards, which in the final analysis is the only way to overcome all of these divisions, we can finally establish a society of harmonious coexistence and collaboration, of real fraternity, equality, and freedom for all. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Marx's Voice. You can subscribe to our podcast through SoundCloud itunes or any major podcast provider or visit our website at www.socialist.net and if you're able to please donate or subscribe online and help support us in the struggle for socialism